From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. My name is John Schuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. You can find our website at fpcelizabethton.org. I get asked every now and then whether or not I believe in God. And, you know, I have to say the answer is no. Um, if God is understood as a supernatural being, um, no, I don't think there is any being that exists. And so God can mean the universe, God can mean love, God can mean different kinds of things, but oftentimes that's confusing too. Um, and so the next question is, well, what do you do about prayer? Uh, who do you talk to supernaturally when you're in trouble? Or what is church about if there is no God who we should pray to or ask for advice or hear instruction? What is church without God? Today's topic. The title of her website reads Greta Vosper, Minister, Author, Atheist. She's the author of With or Without God, Why the Way We Live is More Important Than What We Believe. That was written in 2008. In 2012, she wrote Amen, while pr What Prayer Can Mean in a World Beyond Belief. She's also the co-author of a book of hymns, Sing It Forward, traditional hymns recast and rewritten for religious and humanist communities, plus three books of prayers that demonstrate her evolution on this topic, Holy Breath, Prayers for Worship and Reflection in 2004, Another Breath in 2008, and We All Breathe 2012. She's with me via Skype from Scarborough, Ontario, uh, part of Toronto, Ontario, where she is minister of West Hill United Church, a progressive congregation in the United Church of Canada. Welcome, Greta Vosper, to Religion for Life. It's awesome to be with you today, John. Thank you. On your website, uh, you wrote that in 2001, you came out as an atheist to your congregation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I had been the chair of our presbytery, which is the overseeing body of the area that my congregation sits in, and had done a workshop with each of the congregations there with a colleague. At the end of that, we had realized that um, the people that we engaged on core values and core beliefs, unless they had had some further seminary or theological training, or they had been working at levels of the church that put them in close relationship with those who were trained theologically, most of them still had what I call an elementary understanding of Christianity and Christian doctrine, elementary meaning what they got when they were in elementary level Sunday school. And so that deeply concerned me. I had been trained in a traditional liberal mainline seminary, but had been exposed to critical contemporary scholarship. And so I had learned um, that the Bible was had been written by human beings, that they had contexts out of which they were writing, that they had communities that they were writing for, that they had reasons, and that they were just as fallible as those who write uh, today. So I was trying to figure out exactly how to deal with this within my own congregation. And one Sunday, one of those Sundays when you don't really have a sermon ready because the week has been crazy, I preached a sermon quite unexpectedly that left God in 
several dozen pieces lying around on the carpet in the sanctuary at the end of the service. I really just spoke about my not believing in an interventionist God, uh, my understanding of what the word God meant for me uh, as a concept, not as a being, that I didn't believe that uh, we as Christians were privileged in any particular way, uh, that Jesus wasn't the divine son of God. And that pretty much, that pretty much, ended that whole uh, idea that I was speaking to that particular belief system. I think that the belief system that I shared with them is one that is uh, held by many of my colleagues in the United Church and in other progressive denominations, but no one had yet really been that forthcoming, I don't believe, uh, within the context of a Christian church in a traditional denomination. So is atheist the right term? Is is that enough to describe you? Well, I haven't I didn't actually own the label atheist mm-hmm. back when I first did that sermon. I gently moved into referring to myself as a non-theist. And then uh, when I recognized that many people were using that term really just to give themselves permission to invoke other terms of endearment like holy one or gracious one or nameless one of many names or whatever people were using, they were still invoking this supernatural agent that acted in their lives. And I didn't believe in that. So although I used the term non-theist in the book, With or Without God, when I wrote Amen, I had to be really clear that I did not believe in a supernatural agent that could act in our lives in any way, either either a being or a force. So a non-theist sort of meant I didn't believe in a being. So, But in Amen, I actually said that I was a religious and a theological non-realist, which, which is a philosophical term, meaning there is nothing there. And I do not believe that there is anything there. And so Uh, I made it very, very clear. Uh, I embraced the term atheist within my congregation just this past past year when Kyle Jones began the interview an atheist at church day, Mm -hmm. and I got on board with him. I thought that was a brilliant idea. And so Catherine Dunphy, who is the executive director of the Clergy Project, and I were interviewed together by a member of my congregation. And I had allowed and accepted the term uh, atheist being applied to me and my work uh, for some time, but I hadn't actually said, okay, I'm going to call myself an atheist here amongst these people. But there were some really awful things happening uh, in relation to atheists around the world, and I felt that I needed to own the term and and make it less uh, a term of derision and and term of that's used by people who who hate those who do not believe. And so I embraced that term at that point in time. So there's a sense of solidarity uh, in terms with those who do identify clearly as atheists. Yes, and that creates, as you can imagine, a challenge in my denomination. They're happy to accept me as someone who defines God differently, uh, but to actually use the term atheist is a very problematic thing for many of them. So the discourse has been uh, wide-ranging from very, very positive to uh, very, very upset and determined to uh, have me leave the denomination in one way or another. Well, continuing on that theme um, about God, um, do you use the word God at all, or is it too confusing? 
Does it allow would, for no, this would, supernaturalism to creep in? I do not use the word God uh, in my services at West Hill. I generally don't use it in other discourse. If I won the lottery, I might use it, <laughs> but uh, I generally don't. Um, it is very, very confusing to people, and that's my argument, that those colleagues of mine who continue to use the word but don't mean anything close to a supernatural interventionist deity uh, are allowing people to assume that they do believe in that and that 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 is what they're talking about when in fact it is not uh, and I believe that some of them continue to use the word particularly since I've been so vocal about this work they continue to use the word in order to play both sides of the fence and appeal to those who on Saturday afternoon they can say they don't believe in that uh, and those who on Sunday morning want reassurances that that order of the universe still exists. Now, your congregation uh, didn't abandon you. Um, they, they stuck with you through this pretty much, did you, or did you lose members? Well, initially, it was, a, it was a very positive reaction. As you can imagine, once I preached that sermon, I needed to sit down with my board pretty quickly and, and just be open with the fact that I was no longer uh, meeting the needs that they had asked me to meet when they called me to be their minister. And so we had a board meeting very quickly after that, and they really wanted to know what it was going to look like, where are we going, what, what's it going to be like. Uh, to ha to explore this territory. And I had to say that I had no idea. I just knew that I could no longer do what I had been doing because it, it felt dishonest to me after that. And so uh, they had a conversation and just decided that they wanted to explore with me. And, and it, was, uh, it was wonderful. And so we have, over the course of the years, uh, the leadership of the congregation has had to have the conversation again and again Given that we are now discussing doing this, such as removing the Lord's Prayer from the service, or this, such as the interview an atheist at church day, what are the implications of that? What will be the costs? And are we willing to accept those? And the leadership has, through all its changes and all the things that we have done in the congregation, they have regularly said, yes, this is the direction that we need to go, and we are going to do it. This past board meeting, we had some challenging responses from uh, my colleagues and from the uh, church in response to an interview I did on the national radio service here and uh, an interview that was published in our national magazine. And so I took those to the board. And at the end of the meeting, uh, they said, Greta, you need to remember that we are right behind you. And when need be, we will be in front of you. So that's the kind of support that I get from that leadership. Well, that... that said, it does not mean that we had didn't have difficulties. And uh, in 2008, 2009, after my book was first book was published, uh, and when we did drop the Lord's Prayer from the service, it was the last remaining thing that still held that pre-Copernican universe in place. Uh, we did lose a substantial number of members of the congregation. I would say probably 50%. Um, many of them were uh, in that uh, top donor level. So financially, it was an enormous blow to us. But we have, we regrouped. Uh, we continued to attract people for whom church 
uh, was only an option if uh, God and the Bible and Jesus were not part of it. And I would say that we have now uh, returned to that uh, before the levels of, of uh, support and engagement that we had before that loss, that great loss. Uh, previously on uh, this program, uh, by the way, if you are just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Greta Vosper. She is a United Church of Canada minister. Her church is West Hill United Church in, in uh, Toronto, Canada. She's the author of Amen, What Prayer Can Mean in a World Beyond Belief, and With or Without God, Why the Way We Live is More Important Than What We Believe. And we're talking about her journey with her congregation uh, through this world beyond belief. And previously on this program, one of my guests was Sarah Santillas, who wrote her story in her book, Breaking Up With God. And for her, abandoning a personal God meant that she needed to leave the ministry, uh, in her case, the Episcopal Church USA. Uh, the same for another guest, Jerry DeWitt, a Pentecostal preacher. But you are still connected uh, with the practice of ministry and to Christianity to some degree. How do you see yours and your congregation's relationship to Christianity? Many in the congregation uh, continue to be traditional theistic believers. Uh, we embrace them. Uh, they participate fully and completely as members of the congregation. And so we feel confident that we have every right to remain in the United Church of Canada. Indeed, we think that our work is a witness to the United Church, which is perhaps one of the most progressive, if not the most progressive denomination on the planet, uh, certainly in terms of social and sexual justice, and now in terms of theological stance, uh, the given the envelope that we've been pushing. Uh, and so we feel committed to the work of the United Church of Canada, and we feel committed to challenging that uh, work to embrace a theology that is beyond what has been presented in the past. Part of that is because our theological training centers teach the human construction of the Bible and the implications of that I believe, have to be lived out and preached within congregations. And so that's the work that we're intent on doing. Well, one of the first things on the list uh, when we can no longer fathom belief in a personal God is is prayer. Uh, and corporate worship is really, in a sense, uh, big prayer. Um, so what what is prayer without God? Uh, this is what I go into in my second book, and for exactly the reason that it is one of the big first questions that comes when people say, okay, so I've got it. I get the idea that there's no big being up there, but who am I praying to then, and, and what can I do with prayer? How can I keep that as a significant part of my spiritual life? It's important, I think, the first thing to recognize that whenever prayer has been answered in our lives, it's a, that's an interpretation of events that we have brought to them. So when we decide or recognize that it's not a divine being that's bringing things about, we get to celebrate that all those things that we think have turned out in our favor because of our prayer are things that we or people around us have brought about and assisted us in, in making happen. When we approach prayer in a traditional manner, we are seeing God as the source, as the of goodness, all the goodness in the world. We see God as the agent through which that goodness comes into the world. And we accept that God's promise for us is that eventually goodness will out, whether in this life or in the next. 
without that theistic understanding of God, we have to revisit those things. What is the source of goodness in our lives? And, and how does it come to be? And we recognize that the source of goodness is, is only us. We, we get to make things good or not. And that's our challenge is, mm-hmm. is trying to create and build goodness up in the world. So we're the source. We are also the agent about how goodness is going to come into being. It's not If we don't do it, it's not going to happen. So we're also the agent. So that's the first two. But we can't promise that goodness will come about. And so we have to recognize that we are only the potential for good. And that is a shattering change in worldview for some people. But I think that the first two things help us build our potential for making goodness in the world. When we recognize that we are the source and we are the agents, then we also take upon ourselves the responsibility. In terms of spiritual practice, if prayer is something that has been a significant part of your experience and your and that practice, then by all means, continue it. And rather than praying to God, what we do at West Hill is we merely shift. It's a very simple shift of words and we merely say rather than give me strength or bring me comfort or make me well we simply say may we have strength may we find comfort may we become well and we open ourselves to what jerome stone calls situationally transcendent resources we open ourselves to what others can offer us we open ourselves to what we can invite into our lives which we might otherwise have been closed to and we stretch our experience and so we also stretch the potential for us to find what it is that we need and to live as we choose to live so we're we're actually making uh, good or making god for those who believe that god is love and god is goodness in the world as we do that of course this is all a, a process of um of evolution in a sense isn't it i mean i i think of um Worship is just traditionally drenched uh, with supernatural theism. Uh, you know the hymn books, the the language, the all. From my experience, it's it, it's a challenge uh, to design a non-theistic uh, worship experience. I, I get there part way, but we've got so much um, baggage. I don't know what the right word is. How, how was that process for you? Was it gradual or was it uh, more sudden? Uh, it was a gradual process, but that what you've noted is exactly what I recognized had to be done because when I was trying to figure out why people hadn't sort of got the idea that um, that I was giving them every sermon, and, you know, which included critical contemporary scholarship, talk about the context out of which the biblical passage from the lectionary had been written and who it was for and what it meant and how it argued with other passages in the Bible, and then told them that that meant nothing <laughs> nowadays. Mm-hmm. Our context was so different. And then I'd pick up something else and come up with a message for the Sunday. But, and I didn't realize, I didn't realize that because that sermon was bracketed by so much theistic stuff in terms of the hymns and the call to worship and the prayer and everything that they weren't getting it. And that was the big eye opening thing for me. So I recognized that we needed to change that, and we began doing that fairly gradually. Uh, we started putting in alternative readings, and uh, and I would speak to them rather than the lectionary passage, eventually dropping, years later, dropping the lectionary passage entirely, so we no longer had a 
biblical passage, um, changing the words to hymns, uh, taking copyright into consideration and only changing them if we had permission or if they were in the public domain, or completely rewriting traditional songs, and that's the book that you mentioned earlier, Sing It Forward. Um, we uh, we shifted the prayer uh, responses from Oh God, in your mercy, hear our prayer to in this our time of need, may love abound, so that it felt the same, but the language was different. And and we were well into it, uh, several years into it, before some people even noticed that we had changed any of the language, because the symbols still looked the same. We still did communion in the same way. We still did baptism in the same way. Uh, we just, we had changed the language. And it wasn't actually until an article hit the front page of the newspaper, the local, uh, the Toronto Star, that some members in the congregation realized that I wasn't using the quote unquote words of institution when I was doing communion and and was very, very upset about that, uh, thinking that I had only just changed it, but it had it had been changed long, long before that. Indeed, I had never actually used the words of institution in my entire ministry at West Hill. So the changes were very gradual, uh, and um, people accommodated them for the most part. The big change, as I said, was when we decided to no longer have the Lord's Prayer in the service. And uh, it's kind of ironic that that had been only brought into the service since I had arrived there, uh, but and the children had led it, and then we shifted it to a different part in the service because parents in the Sunday school said, we don't want our kids learning this as the only prayer they ever say. It, it doesn't reflect what we believe. It doesn't reflect what we talk about in our service. So it, it shouldn't be here. So we, rather than remove it entirely, uh, we just moved it to a different place, and we wrote a new prayer, which the children would lead in the service. Um, so that that was the most traumatic a loss for people and probably because it was the last thing that was that had that was left there that could still connect with that theistic understanding of God. A big question. My guest, uh, Greta Vosper, author of Amen, What Prayer Can Mean in a World Beyond Belief. Thinking of religion, and now we might have uh, different theories of how religion began, but I, I can think of it at least as human attempts to try to manipulate the world to our advantage in some form or another. Um, that, uh, that there's a sense in which we sacrifice uh, animals or whatever it is, or prayer to, to kind of get things to go uh, to get the gods on our team, uh, what is what what is religion today? Uh, what is religion without God? What is prayer without God? Well, I think that uh, there are so many definitions. First of all, for religion, mm-hmm. that we could go on about that for an hour, probably. But I uh, I believe that the religious impulse is one where we engage in an attempt to understand our world. And so if that's the definition that we're using, even the most atheistic scientist uh, is acting in some kind of religious impulse to understand and figure out what is going on in the world and what their relationship with it is. The term, however, is more commonly used to refer to corporate institutional religion. And institutional religion in our world today, I think, is is dangerous. And, I, and I'm concerned that liberal 
expressions of religion continue to allow more fundamentalist expressions of religion and all of the oppression and denial of rights and uh, negative stuff that they bring into being allow and that to continue in the world. And so I have said that I believe that the eradication of religion is ultimately essential to the human community, to the human family, because we need to get beyond the beliefs that divide us and the supernatural, uh, otherworldly uh, premise uh, upon which they're built, uh, that it's some kind of divine authority that leads us to kill one another, to deny rights, to uh, say that entire swaths of the human community are unfit uh, to be recognized as human. We have to get back past that impulse, and I think that that's a very religious impulse and very tied to uh, institutional religion. So I think that institutional religion has to eventually be overcome by the human community. That religious impulse to engage our world, to to find out the come to understand those things that fill us with deep awe and and wonder and that lift our hearts merely by being connected to them in some way, that will and needs to always continue. But the institutionalization of what makes that right and what makes that wrong, that we need to get beyond that. And that's a that's an evolutionary thing that that we have to allow within the human family. Well, it sounds like your community is solidly wrestling with what it means to be human, uh, being very critical of, of self, of, of your own community itself, and, and your place in the universe, not just simply taking the answers and, and keeping them going, but really questioning the very reason for the existence of the community itself. Absolutely. Uh, one of the initiatives that we're currently engaged in, a group within the congregation, has been working on what church is going to look like beyond Sunday morning. Because mm -hmm. when we're engaging people, they're not people who have a tradition of going to a church on a Sunday morning, but they do want to have something meaningful in their lives. So how do we respond to that? And that may lead us to the loss of Sunday morning as the iconic element of religion, uh, of cr the Christian religion, and find ourselves having conversations on Wednesday night uh, or engaging in, in a once a month ritual on the banks of a river or something. Who knows what it might be, um, but it will be something that draws people into that conversation and into the idea of wonder and beauty, um, truth, goodness, and beauty, those three sought after uh, philosophical ideals. Uh, those, I think, will continue to infuse humanity and each of us individually will embrace them differently, and that makes for a diverse and exquisitely beautiful world. Beautifully said. Greta Vosper, thank you uh, for being with me. Thank you for your courage and your honesty and for your leadership. Please check out Greta Vosper at gretavosper.ca and her church at westhill.net. Again, thank you for being with me today and for your work. And thank you for sharing this work, John. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. For more information about Religion for Life, including this program, links to podcasts, and other great stuff, go to religionforlife.com. 
like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, listen to us on iTunes, religionforlife.com. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.